Hello, I'm Jonathan Smith. I'm the lead pastor at One Church TO, and you're listening to the teaching time from our weekend gathering. We're an imperfect community of over 70 nationalities and five generations who are attempting to follow and shine Jesus in the greater Toronto area. Our vision, it's so simple. We want to help people from all walks of life know God, love people, and in turn, impact our city for good. We've designed these weekends to be meaningful, challenging, and encouraging, and I hope that's what you get from listening. Reading the Bible has always been a little bit of a struggle for me. You know, I've learned after a long time and a lot of effort to be consistent at it, doing it more regularly. But there are definitely days where I can walk away and I'm thinking, I understand what these words are saying, but man, I don't know what they mean. And have you, I don't know if you've ever experienced that. If you haven't, I would say go ahead and read the book Numbers and maybe you'll start to understand what I mean. That one's, that one's a bit tough at times. And part of this is because I'm typically reading the Bible like a chapter at a time and as I'm reading it I'm seeing three or four stories at once and I get the overall perspective that Jesus is really great he does amazing things but I don't necessarily understand the significance of a widow and her son why was that story included kind of like lost in the fog of 2,000 years later there's a time gap there's a culture gap and it leads to a little bit of a uh, I don't know, like a lack of significance. Like we can, we can miss out on it. So sometimes I feel like you need a, a little sip of tea and some extra time sitting down with it, maybe a couple extra resources to, to figure out what, it, what a story could actually be meaning. And there's this, there's this key moment in Luke where he kind of uses it like a key moment where he is unlocking all the other stories in the Bible. It's when Jesus is at the synagogue. It's hometown synagogue. He goes there like he does every Sabbath and he is handed the scroll and he opens it up to the book of Isaiah and he scans to this one particular part and it's like a significant moment because he's almost saying to everyone, this is why I am here. This is my mission. This is what he read when he opened it up. He said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring the good news to the poor. Then Jesus closes the scroll and he says, That's about me. Now when you look at this story about the widow and you take it through that lens, that's where it starts to get exciting. Because we start to understand what Jesus is talking about bringing good news to the poor is so much more than just about the economics. He's talking about something that really has an impact on both of us today. Okay, so with that all in mind, let's start looking at the story that we're talking about today. Luke chapter 7, starting in verse 11. And let's remember that Jesus is specifically speaking good news to the poor, okay? So let's look with that lens, verse 11. Soon afterward, Jesus went with his disciples to the village of Nain, and a large crowd followed him. Now Nain is a small village nestled in some foothills, 
just about a two hour walk away from Jesus' hometown of Nazareth. And he's rolling into town with quite a posse. It says that he, there's a crowd with him and he's coming up to this village and another posse is coming out of the village, but this is a funeral procession, okay? A funeral procession was coming out as he approached the village gate. This isn't what we think of when we think of a funeral procession, you know, the, the sleek cars, four-way flashers, all going. This is noisy chaos and like a bunch of people following a casket doing ugly crying. And like, I mean, like pro-level ugly crying. People were actual professional criers and mourners for, wet, for funerals because they wanted to make the people who were mourning actually feel like there was some sympathy, like they weren't the only ones. So this is what's going on here. And then as Luke zeroes in on the scene, he chooses a very particular person as the main character. Let's read here. The young man who died was a widow's only son. And a large crowd from the village was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart overflowed with compassion. The son was hers. The crowd was with her and Jesus saw her. Luke wants you in her shoes. Her, a widow. Okay, we need to take a sip of tea and think about this a little bit more. What does it mean to be a widow? Okay, and losing your only son. This has all the tragic connotations for us that it would. You know, having these two most important people in your life being ripped out of your hands all the emotional baggage, all the trauma. It's the same as it would be for us, except there's actually another whole layer to it. The social safety net at that time was the family. So having your family removed from you as a widow, your social safety net was gone too. You could beg maybe, that was it. And being poor in that context wasn't just about economics. It was about social status. You can think of it like a cultural passport, access to the community, whether that's the relational side or the economic side, the interactions, being able to buy and own stuff or everything like that, that was all based on your cultural status. And cultural status was based on a number of different factors, okay? Your education was important. Your gender was important. Your family heritage was important. Your religious purity was important. Your vocation was important. I'm running out of fingers. Marital status was important and your economics. So economics was just one piece of the whole puzzle. So with this widow, she's basically had her entire cultural passport ripped out of her hands. She's not just poor, her status is wiped out completely. Now, think about this in the context of what we heard from Jesus earlier when he was talking about his mission statement where he was anointed to bring good news to the poor. This is the poor that he's talking about. So foreshadowing this scene, right? Now, what, were you, what would you do if you were Jesus? In his shoes, you were walking up, seeing this woman coming out. It's pretty obvious what was going on in that day. Would you want to lean in and try and bring comfort? Or would you kind of just try and step away and slowly fade into the background? I think I would tend towards that. I'm socially awkward in the best of times. And so I would definitely be salt in the wounds. Uh, but that's not what Jesus does. Let's read what he says here, okay? He says, don't cry. Now, if you are attending a funeral, 
these are not words I would recommend for you to say to someone who's mourning unless you could do what Jesus did here. Then he walked over to the coffin and touched it and the bearers stopped. Young man, he said, I tell you, get up. Then the dead boy sat up and began to talk and Jesus gave him back to his mother. Jesus steps into the scene for what seems like a happenstance encounter. He reaches into death, pulls this son up and gives him new life. And when he does that, he's restoring that passport, that cultural access, that status for this widow completely. Her life is changed. She has access to the community. Jesus has elevated her. And by walking towards this widow, it's interesting to note that Jesus was willing to stake his own reputation on it. We can forget at times that Jesus was a single male and elevating others always came at a cost like it did here. Him approaching someone of the opposite gender, it was a cost to him. And when he walks towards people, he always does it knowingly. He does it despite the stigma. So considering all of that, it was actually supposed to be different in Israel. Different for widows, different for orphans, different for foreigners. God had set out some guidelines for how Israel would take good care of them and watch out for them, especially them being the most vulnerable people in their community. But the problem is Israel didn't always live up to it. And when they missed it, they were also missing out on experiencing God and showing what God looked like to the communities around them. How beautiful is it that God, a God who has compassion and a God who wants justice for more than just the elite would be expressed in contrast to all the different deities that were represented in the cultures of that era. It wasn't until Jesus' example that we truly saw compassion and justice being expressed as part of God and it had ripple effects. The early church actually picked up where Jesus left off and started demonstrating it in the, how they treated those with low status. It was a hallmark of their community. Luke's sequel to this book, The Acts of the Apostles, he actually talks about how the Christian community formed around its, its you know, early stages of organizational culture around taking care of widows. That's how deacons were chosen to take care of the widows at that time. And this would have totally perplexed first century Roman culture where the family unit was the piece of stability for everyone. It wasn't just for widows, for all singles, they were seen as a drag on society. Marriage was seen as the right way of doing life. How stark the contrast then when the Christian community being single wasn't just elevated to a place where it was tolerated, it wasn't just included, being single was celebrated. You know, some of the primary church leaders that we know of, when we read about the early church, we know many of them were single themselves and saw that their singleness actually helped them and was a, a, a benefit to them doing their work. Being invited to the table as brothers and sisters of Jesus meant that you didn't have to be married to be part of a family.
You know, it's kind of unfair as a married guy to be speaking about how awesome it is to be single. Uh, and you know, honestly, for us, as, as my wife Margaret and I, it's a lot easier for us to talk about doing life with people who look a lot like us, people who have kids. And you know, it's easy to build those friendships when you can say, you know, like talk diaper stories or sleep stories or all the silly things that your kids do and you can say right and they can, you know, uh, pitch back a story of their own life, or how their own kids are acting. Those are, those are the relationships that almost feel effortless because you have those, those common building blocks. But I've seen, I've had the privilege of seeing God's family work way beyond that. We love hanging out with other families that are in our stage of life. But my wife Margaret and I have learned the privilege of doing life with singles as well. I'm talking about wonderful people that don't hold back. They've, you know, jumped on the floor and played with my kids. They've, they've waited for us as we took forever to get out of our house. You know, the chaos of, of a family leaving a house. And you know, sometimes they would just come over and make it easy for us to get the kids to bed by being at our place. And I've heard their stories. I can see that God isn't waiting for them to get married, to have kids, or to find a job in their field to be doing something in their life, to be calling them to something. I can see how their surrendered life in the present is already exactly where they need to be for now. I was just talking about this with Margaret yesterday and she just lit up. We were talking specifically about our community group that we've been a part of for the last three years. And she, she started describing how there's a payoff in a commitment in relationship, deliberate commitment to slow showing up week after week, building that relationship. You get past the surface level of chemistry, which is easy to build and so easy to look for in friendships. And we allow ourselves actually to get to know people. And then the things that you might find odd or a little bit off-putting or challenging at a surface level, suddenly they became, become beautiful surface expressions of a life that you know much deeper. And we allow ourselves to be known by others. That part is really tough for me. We are so grateful to be able to do life with so many great people. there's a table where everyone has a seat, it's this table. It's the communion table. This is God's family table. And it's at this table that the new values of God's family are cemented into our hearts. There is no table like this table. And we're going to spend a minute at this table. I would invite you to join me and my community group in a moment of taking communion together. So if you have some bread or some juice or something close to it, whatever you have, Go and get it now so you can take part in this moment. You know, from the, the early church on, this table included everybody. For the early church, that meant it included slaves and it included business owners, apostles and brand new followers of Jesus, Romans, Greeks, and even some Pharisees that loved Jesus. It had the married couples. It had the families. It had the singles. And they were all able to break bread together. Do life. Look directly into each other's eyes 
hear each other's stories, step in to meet each other's needs, pray for each other. Their life stories became tied together at this table. So who is at the One Church TO family table? You know, it's kind of hard to look through the lens right now and see each other, <clears throat> but we have over 70 plus birth nations and we have a number of people watching from different nations around the world live right now. We actually have the families that you can't see, the couples you can't see, the singles you can't see. And that's why I thought the best next thing would, the next best thing would be to have my community group here as a just kind of stand in for us. And if you aren't in a community group, can I just take a minute and just give a plug here? If you're not in a community group, I would so encourage you to step into one. The last three years of doing life with these awesome people have been the biggest part of my own spiritual journey and, and development in the last three years. They've walked through tough moments with me and they have kept me honest. And it means so much to me to have them here with me. Sharing a table with people like this, to me, that's just a snippet of heaven. It's just a snippet of the, the family of God table. So as we come to this table, let's remember how each of us got here. It was through a man, a man who was single, one who allowed himself to feel the shame of coming close to me, coming close to you. And worse yet, he didn't just allow himself to be seen with me. He took my bad reputation on and worse the stuff that I can hide from anyone else. He, he still knows it, he still took it on. And then he got up from this table and he walked to his death and he left me the passport to my status in this community. That's how we all got to this table. drink this cup and we eat this small piece of bread as symbols and a reminder, but not only as a symbol and a reminder. They're insignificant in themselves, but they're powerful and beautiful because of what they represent. They represent what Jesus did for us. He died for us. And Paul remembers it this way. As a single man, he writes this in his letter to the Corinthians. On the night he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread, gave thanks to it, for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Because he was broken, we are made whole. He heals us. He heals our relationships with others as well as with himself. So Jesus, we remember your sacrifice today, even as we eat this bread together. Paul continues in his letter. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this to remember me as often as you drink it. This cup 
is how Jesus paid for us to be at the table. Everything we've done to discount ourselves, all the wrong things that we've done, and everything that others have done that is wrong to us, everything that was done or said to degrade our status, he paid for it all. So Jesus, we thank you for paying such a great price so we could join your family at this table. We remember you even as we drink this cup together. And every time we eat this bread and drink this cup together, God, help us remember and realize that we are tasting a little bit of what our future will be like with you and your entire family when we get to heaven. We can't wait. Amen. And I still need you, Father, trusting in this great That's quite a statement, we all need each other. Uh, and depending on your life experience, you might uh, try to curate the type of life where you don't need others. Because maybe you ventured into that space and it's been disappointing or hurtful, even maybe even harmful, depending on the situation. You, you know, the thing is though, and the hard part, why we can't escape this is, Jesus, the creator, made us to be known and to know others in return. And our lives find completion as we love and we are loved in return. And so obviously 
that relationship with Jesus, but the way he's made us to thrive in community is particularly important. And that was well illustrated with Pastor Matt's small group as we celebrated communion together. Many generations and cultures coming together unified around one common person, the person of Jesus. Now, you might be thinking, okay, how do I get in on that type of community? How do I get in, how do I get a place at that table? And here's the thing. Jesus welcomes us, whether regardless of what our relational status is, marital, married or single or young or old, widowed or uh, in a relationship, whether we are male or female, whether we're smart or not so smart, whether we think we're boring or funny, it doesn't matter. You know what's interesting is it's not about what you bring to the table because the fact is you can't bring enough to get admittance to the table of the family of God. We just can't. You see, it's not about what you bring or what you brought or what you have. It's about what Jesus has brought. And Jesus gave his life so he could make admittance to yours into his new family he was creating. A family called the church, not a building, a people. A people where all of a sudden people that look very different in other aspects of life are able to find a sense of family, belonging, brother and sister. This is why on weekends we make such a big deal about jump in the chat room. It's just so you can be known or known. And some of you have even gathered in our room today and it's so good. Love to see our church family right here in this room today. But this is why we put an emphasis on community groups. Because we can't possibly in large-scale moments, whether digitally or physically, help you in an accountable relationship that will help you grow deeper in Jesus. So here's what I want to do. I'd like to pray with you today, whether you're here in this room or whether you're watching online. I'd like to pray for those who are followers of Jesus. Because I do think there's a lot of us that maybe the courage might be an issue. Maybe priority might be an issue, but we've lived our, our faith-filled life more on the peripheral of community, where maybe we know about people, but people don't know us. So I, I want to pray for you that you'd step into greater community. And then I want to pray for those that might say, listen, I'd love a table, a, a seat at that table, but I'm not a follower of Jesus. And I don't want to pray with you also. So would you join me as we, let's pray together. Father, We acknowledge today that you have created us to connect. You've created us to connect with you and our lives will never find what it's searching for outside of you. You connect with us at such a deep and profound and creative level. And God, in turn, you designed us to be in community with others. So Father, we acknowledge our wiring and the way you've made us. And God, we say thank you today. And we're going to pray in the context of gratitude. We just say thank you for sending your son, Jesus, that he brought enough to the table. He paid for our debt so we could pull up a chair and be a part of your family. So I pray for all my friends listening online and in this room who are already followers of Jesus. God, would you use the community to transform us heal us and restore us. I pray God that you would help some of us find the courage to step into a community group or an alpha group or some area where people people know us and they do life with us. 
Help us to find the courage. And I pray for those who've been damaged by people and damaged by community because that's what makes that step so scary. God, we pray that you would invade their pain with your love and you would do a healing work inside of them. And God, that you'd surround them with trustworthy people, not perfect people. No, no perfect people in these groups, but trustworthy people that can journey with them. Lord, I pray for those who may be the prioritization of spending time with others. It's just their busy lives. God, I pray we'd see the value because these relationships formed around you will last forever, forever. So God, help us to invest in them now for someday. And then Father, I pray for those and I invite you to pray with me if you want to follow Jesus today. Jesus, thank you for making a way for me to know you and to find a spiritual family. Thank you for including me. Thank you for not overlooking me. And thank you for welcoming me. And Jesus, I ask you to forgive me of all the things that I've contributed to because I've contributed to some of the mess that I find myself in or the mess I see in this world. And Lord, forgive me of what I've done to others or myself or my relationship with you that has put a barrier between you and me and me and my church family, the, the spiritual family. And God, I pray that you'd fill me with your spirit, that you would renew me from the inside out and you'd give me the courage to step into community so that we collectively as a church physically, digitally gathered right now in this moment, that we would be able to impact our city with the love and grace that we have experienced through your son, Jesus. And everybody said with me, amen, amen. Thanks for listening. If you found this helpful, we hope you join us at one of our campuses if you're in the GTA for a weekend gathering. If you're listening from somewhere else in the world, we'd encourage you to join us at onechurch.to slash live. We believe everyone can be a part of what Jesus is doing both in our community and in our city. So if you'd like to connect with us at a deeper level, visit us at onechurch.to slash next steps. See you next time.